We've been in the uh, book of Luke. Uh, we have been looking and studying uh, the life of Jesus Christ through the gospel of Luke. Uh, we have uh, spent uh, quite a number of weeks uh, looking at what Jesus uh, does, what he teaches, and we come to a passage today, which uh, they're all serious passages, but this is a really serious passage that I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would give you and I eyes to see. I've titled this message, A Cosmic Battle, and the reason is that there's a cosmic universal battle that is going on right now. Each and every one of you, including myself, has been born into the midst of this battle. We'll see as Jesus teaches today that there's two kings, there's two kingdoms with two armies, and they're fighting on multiple battlefields. Uh, We are, or we find ourselves born uh, into one of these two kingdoms, serving one of these two kings, and it's the place that we do not want to remain in, and my prayer is that uh, you have been reconciled and you've been redeemed and you've been saved and brought over to the other kingdom. Today we see another account where Jesus does a miraculous work as we've been following, and what we'll see here today is that there is a man who is a casualty of war. Uh, He is possessed by a demon. He cannot speak. He is mute. The demon has caused this. We don't know how long, how many days, how many years, but it's evident uh, that a demon has been controlling this man. Jesus shows up and brings hope to a scene uh, where there is no hope. The question that rises today as we look is, uh, who is greater, Jesus Christ or Satan? That's really what it comes down today when you look at the text. Who is greater, Jesus Christ or Satan? The big idea is this. Jesus is greater than Satan and the demons because Jesus is the king of of glory. Would you look with me at Luke chapter 11? If you've been with us and, and you wonder, well, why did we skip over Luke chapter 11 verses 1 through 13? Uh, if you go to our website and type in on our sermon series, uh, uh, Teach Us to Pray, or Luke chapter 11, you'll see uh, spent four weeks preaching on that text uh, just a while back. So we're going to pick up in verse 14 of Luke chapter 11. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. 
And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And he said, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you in a moment where there is joy that we can gather in your name. We come together knowing that there is trouble uh, in this life. And there is trouble in many people's lives that are here and are in line. We know that there is um, an enemy. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would open our eyes. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to have great or greater understanding of your word. That we would know how you would have us apply it in our life. So, thank you, Jesus. For what you have done and we declare you the king of kings and lord of lords would you bless the reading and the preaching of the word in jesus name amen so again this morning as we look at the text jesus is going to talk about two kings he's going to talk about two kingdoms that have two different armies and that there is a battle that's going on in the midst of a number of battlegrounds or battle fronts so let's look at verses 14 through 16 as he, we see a description of these two different kings. Again, you have a man who is demon-possessed. A demon has entered this man. Uh, it's like a parasite living in this man, living off of this man, and he has made this man mute. Jesus shows up on the scene. Uh, he sees this casualty of war, and not only is this man possessed by a demon, but when we read scripture that demons possess people, there's a picture of constant daily, day in, day out torment that happens to these people who are possessed by demons. This man could not speak. We don't know how long, but it's evident that when Jesus does cast out the demon and the man does speak, that people are amazed at what has taken place. I wonder if this man had a family. <clears throat> I wonder if this man had children. I wonder if he could not speak to his friends or his parents or whoever that he would come in contact with, that he has been around, the torment that he would have gone through, that he so wanted to, to say something out loud but could not speak, and a demon was responsible for the muteness that this man was experiencing. One of the things that has come up repeatedly over time in my life in the church are Christians and non-Christians who are skeptical when it comes to the supernatural, when we see things that are miraculous and we have no answer for, when we see things that are supernatural that maybe be are dark that we don't have an answer for, and we want to try to explain it away. Well, this is what the people try to do. The uh, Matthew chapter 12 is also the account of where we see this same uh, event that Matthew describes it. And Matthew says it's the Pharisees that ask these two questions or make these statements. So if you look at verse 15 and 16, uh, some of the people say, well, hey, Jesus just cast out that demon because he has the power of Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. Uh, and, uh, and while the other people are, are you know, testing Jesus, they're like, hey, give us a sign. 
So we're going to deal with one of the two questions, really, or the statements today. The second one's in verse 16. And in verse 16, uh, Jesus answers the question about a sign in verses 29 through 32. At the beginning of this year, we went through the book of Jonah. And I addressed that at the time. You can go back in January and listen. But one of the things that we saw in January when we looked at Jonah and Jesus in this text uh, in 29 through 32, the people always want to see more. They see Jesus do something. They still want another sign. He says, I'm not going to give you another sign other than the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the tomb three days and three nights, pointing to Jesus. He says, you don't need anything else, but people always want more proof, um, and it shows a lack of faith in Christ. But what I want to spend our time in is what Jesus uh, gives as an answer to the statement in verse 15. Look at verse 15. He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. The Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of Israel, they don't deny that a a demon was cast out. They don't deny that some powerful act just took place. But what they do is that they do not believe that Jesus has divine power from God to do that. Instead, they blaspheme God and they say, Jesus, you have the power because of Satan or you are Satan. This word Beelzebul, the prince of demons, it literally means the master of the house and is used in scripture to uh, refer uh, to Satan. So ultimately, they're blaspheming God. They're saying, Jesus, you're Satan, or Jesus, you're empowered by Satan. They do not believe that Jesus is God or the power that he has is, is divine power from God Almighty. If you're a follower of Christ, take note of this. Jesus is repeatedly attacked verbally. He's blasphemed. And one of the things that we know is that if you're a follower of Christ, you claim Jesus is Lord. You say, hey, I'm under the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is my Lord and Savior. Know that it's only a matter of time before you're slandered or you're falsely accused. If you go back when we studied the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse 11, uh, uh, Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account on the account of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ today, I would tell you this. You need to pay attention. You need to be ready for the return of Christ. But you need to pay attention and listen. And I think if you listen closely and watch, you'll see that Christians are slandered and Christians are persecuted and Christians are falsely accused all day, every day, uh, turn on the channel, talk to someone in town, look at the world, and if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you will see it before the return of Christ as it continues to grow. So Jesus, in answering them, they, they basically claim there's another king there. You got Beelzebul or Satan, and you've got Jesus, and Jesus is clear that there are two Kings. There's a king with a capital K and there's a king with a little, a small K. Here's what scripture tells us about Satan, who they're accusing Jesus of having the power. Some of the names or titles of Satan in scripture are this, Beelzebul, Apollyon, Belial, Lucifer, the devil, the father of lies, the God of this world, the prince of this world, the prince of devils, the prince of the power of the air. Satan is the great red dragon and he is the ruler of the darkness of this world. Wow, it's kind of dark, kind of heavy, isn't it? 
But scripture is clear. There's a, a host of other names and titles for Satan of who he is. Now remember, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are saying Jesus has power to do this because of the prince of the power of the air, the prince of the darkness of this world. But scripture is clear on who Jesus is. Here's just some of the titles and names of Jesus. Jesus is the sunrise from on high. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the lion of Judah. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our redeemer. He says that he is the resurrection and the what? The life. Jesus is the risen Lord. He is the victorious one, as Scripture says. Scripture says Jesus is our deliverer. He's the Messiah, our Savior. He is the guardian of souls. All because Scripture says Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You believe that? Amen? That's what Scripture tells us. So here, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is being blasphemed and attacked by religious leaders saying, you're doing what you're doing because the power of Satan. That is a huge statement, and it's blasphemy against the Lord. Would you turn to Psalm 24? Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. King David writes some wonderful psalms for us to spend our time in. And he's very clear throughout the Psalms when he declares who God is. And I love Psalm 24 because he says that Jesus is the King of glory. Look at verse 7. He says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Verse 10. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. It can mean divine warrior, the Lord of hosts. He is the commander in chief. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe. This is who Jesus is, that is, and he's being attacked verbally by these religious leaders. God has made it very clear. There's two kings, Jesus Christ, the king of kings and Lord of lords, and you have Satan, who's the prince or the king of this world. And there's a line drawn in the sand, as we saw a few weeks ago in the Gospel of Luke, that Christ always calls for a response to him, to believe in him, to follow him, to be obedient to him. And if you don't, then you're on the other side of the line and you reject him as king and Lord. So there's two kings. Look at verses 17 through 23 in the text here. Let's look at the two kingdoms that are described. Two kingdoms, and each kingdom has armies who do battle. There's the kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven with holy angels, and there's the kingdom of Satan, or the kingdom of this fallen dark world with unholy angels and demons. Look at verse 17. But knowing their thoughts, stop, underline that, highlight that, circle that. What's it say? But knowing their what? Think about this for a minute. Jesus knew their thoughts. They didn't say anything out loud there. Do you know that the King of Kings, Jesus knows your thoughts? He knows my thoughts? When you think about it, it's quite sobering, isn't it? You hated anyone this week? You lusted over anyone this week? You lied that all this week, even if you didn't say it out loud. The thoughts we think, 
that God knows them before we think them? Man, that's kind of a fearful thing. Think about that. Let that rest for a minute. It's another picture of Jesus, uh, a picture of Jesus' divinity, proving that Jesus is God, that he knew the thoughts of what they were thinking, and they didn't even say it. And so he answers them and says in verse 17, gives them a general truth and says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided house falls. So we know this. This is something that's just a general truth. We can see it in history in different nations. We watch it in movies or we read it in books. Some of you have experienced this in businesses and organizations. When there's a division, it takes uh, not sometimes not too long before that organization or that business or that nation falls. I was thinking of sports teams that fall when they're divided. I was remembering back to after I graduated high school, a few years after that, our school would always have the first game of the season for basketball being an alumni game. And if you've ever been to an alumni basketball game, they can be quite comical because sometimes the alumni come back and they're not in the shape that they were when they played in high school. Uh, And maybe some of them have gone on and done better. But we came back and most of the alumni games that I watched when I was in high school, the alumni would run over the varsity team because they were bigger. Even though they were slower, they would just run over the team. Well, my team comes back. And um, we didn't run over the varsity team. Yeah, we, some of us were not in shape. Uh, some of us, some of us were, were doing okay. And we were bigger than some of them. But the problem was this. We were divided on how to play the game. We had an argument the whole time over we're going to play zone defense or man uh, defense because guys out of shape and guys not in shape. I mean, we argued over the, whether we're going to play this offense or not. And it's like, wait, we always played the Cardinal offense. Why would we change it now? So we lost badly. It was not a fun game. Jesus says, kingdoms that are divided will fall. Therefore, he's pointing to their statement about him being empowered by Satan or being Satan himself and saying, hey, look at verse 18 and 19. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Jesus, it's clear, take note of this. Jesus does not deny that Satan has some power. It's very clear from Scripture that Satan and the demons have some power. But if you go back and read Job chapter 1 and 2, you'll see that God who is sovereign controls what power they can use or how much power they can use. But Jesus basically says, if if Satan is casting out or if I'm casting out uh, demons by the power of Satan, there's a civil war going on and Satan's kingdom is going to fall from that. And so therefore, Jesus says, there must be another reason why the demons are cast out. Look at verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he says, if I'm not casting out demons by the power of Satan, then you need to take note because the kingdom of God is at hand and I'm casting out demons by a word because the kingdom of God is here in me, Jesus Christ, who is God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 14 that in the kingdom of God is found righteousness, peace, and joy. 
the kingdom of Satan only brings unrest and torment and destruction. There's two different pictures, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And so Jesus gives this illustration. If you look at verse 21, it talks about a strong man and a stronger man. When a strong man, verse 21, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him, he overcomes him, takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So our family has been here almost two years now in Montana. If you don't know the story, we prayed for 18 years to move to Montana and God moved us uh, in 2018. Since we've been here, I've learned a lot about Montana than just visiting for two weeks a year for vacation. I found out that Montana grown people are tough people. I found that people who have lived in Montana all their life are strong people. They know how to protect their stuff. They know how to protect their land and their water rights. And to be in a culture where a lot of people are carrying guns uh, is different than the culture in L.A. where people are carrying a lot of guns. The fact that I was here two weeks and a woman in the church shows me her purse and there's a gun in there. I'm going, that's a new thing for me. Because guns in Los Angeles are not a a fun thing, and guns in Montana is like, hey, there's some security here. I'm glad that there are people that are caring uh, for our protection. And Jesus is like, hey, there's a strong Montanan man or woman who has guns and they're protecting their land and they're protecting their stuff and their families, but one day there's a stronger person who shows up. And he shows up with his guns, with his tanks, his helicopters, his army. I don't know if he's from Alaska or what. But he comes and attacks the person and takes away their guns and moves into their house and takes over their land. This is what Jesus is saying is going on when he's talking to these people to answer them about Satan and about the two kingdoms. And so we know from Scripture that Satan is strong. The Word of God says that he's a murderer from the beginning. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. That Satan and the demons enslave people. He has an army of demons that torment by possessing, by afflicting, by attacking. And they attack and afflict and possess to the point that they try to remove all hope for every person so that that person does not look to Jesus Christ, who is our only hope. But Jesus says this, there's someone stronger. There's a stronger man who comes in. That stronger person, he has an army, but he doesn't need the army. The stronger man is Jesus Christ. Even with all his holy angels, he doesn't need one of them to come in and to defeat the strong man, Satan. He doesn't need uh, any other people to come in and to defeat and have victory over and bind the strong man, Satan, because Jesus is the stronger man. Amen? Amen. I mean, we should yell amen loud on those things. (laughs) Jesus has conquered Satan. You say, well, wait a minute. You just said Satan's real. You just said the demons are at work. Yeah, we're going to get to that here in a second. But Jesus has already conquered them. How does he do that? How has he done that? Any, any clues? 
at the cross. Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. There he shed his blood that removes the sin, not just covers over the sin. And so at the cross, he conquered sin, which every person is born into this world as a slave of to set people free who believe in him. And he conquered Satan at the cross. But Jesus also has victory and over death. He's conquered death, and that's through the empty tomb, through the resurrection. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, the apostle Paul writes to the church and tells them of this, or reminds them of this victory that uh, is found in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you, he's speaking to Christians, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. But do we stop there? No. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Who are the rulers and the authorities of this world? Satan. Satan, the demons. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It would be like Jesus, the great war general, has won the battle and he has paraded Satan and the demons before all of his people, sending them off to their prison in hell. That's a picture of the triumph. It's a picture of the victory. It's the picture of Jesus, who is the stronger man, who has conquered Satan's sin and death and has bound Satan and given those who believe in Jesus Christ eternal life so Paul says Jesus came to liberate us from sin from slavery to sin and the torment of Satan through faith in Jesus Christ we have the same victory that Jesus has because he lives in us and we live in him once you can become a follower of Christ do not believe the lies of Satan Satan would still want you to believe that he has power over you. He wants you to think that Satan wants you to think that sin and Satan has power over you. But if you are a follower of Christ, then you've been adopted by Christ and you're a child of Christ. And therefore, Satan has no say on your life because you're a child of God, our heavenly father, who loves us and cares for us deeply. Look at verse 23. One of the things that we see is Jesus makes it very clear that aside from Satan and the demons, that he has more enemies. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You go, wait a minute. People are enemies of God? Yes, Scripture is very clear. We're born into the kingdom of darkness and we are an enemy of God Almighty who has given us life and breath. And Jesus died on the cross to win the battle so that we would see the gospel, the truth of Jesus, believe in him 
and be set free from the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So my question for you is, which kingdom do you live in? Which kingdom is ruling over you? What king's flag are you waving or coat of arms? Is it, the, is it the cross and the empty tomb? Or is it the flag of death and hell and darkness and Satan and sin? The, the real question is this. Are you a Christian or not? There are many people in this world who say they're a Christian, but they are not. They believe in Christianity in the sense, or they believe in Jesus being a good guy, but they have not come to faith in Christ, and they need to place their faith in Christ and not just believe in something that's been told about in history or that Jesus is a good guy. If you are a follower of Christ, you're walking in the kingdom of light. How is your relationship with Christ? How are you walking with him? Are you in his word so that you would be obedient to his word? Are you gathering with him? Are you with him? The reason I ask these questions, we come down to verse 24 through 26 in the text. The battleground, you have two kings, two kingdoms, two armies, and the battleground is your heart. There is a battle waged for your heart. Even though Christ has already won the victory, there's a battle waging in the battleground or the battlefront of your heart. And so Jesus in verse 24 through 26 gives us a picture of this battleground and again reminds us how dangerous Satan and the demons are. Again, demons are like parasites. They live in and live off of a person and they cause harm. And so people in this world try to, in a sense, get rid of those demons. Or they try to get rid of things in their life that they know are not right. And so they try to make new habits. They try to work harder at life. They make new goals. They try to be more disciplined to get rid of addictions, to get rid of weaknesses, to get rid of temptations. And it's like this, buying an old house that you renovate and you go in there and, and, and you put up down new carpet and you put up some new drywall and you paint it up and you put new light bulbs in and you put some new granite countertops in and it looks great. But the problem is the foundation is crumbling apart. And in the walls, the beams, they're all rotted out with termites and, 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 and wet, rotten wood inside there. And inside between the beams is all this black mold. And so, but what happens is people go in, they renovate the place, don't do anything to the problems, and they go to sleep at night and the, the house falls on them and kills them. Or it's like buying an old uh, uh, hot rod and, and putting new paint on it and taking the dents out and putting uh, new stuff in and souping up the engine. But the problem is the frame. And it's so rusted out, it's ready to come apart. And you jump in that car and take off looking great, sounding good. The thing falls apart. You go off a cliff and die. This is what people in this world try to do apart from Jesus Christ to change their life. And so I would say this, moral renovation without spiritual transformation is disastrous and hopeless. Moral renovation without spiritual transformation is disastrous and hopeless. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've tried to make yourself more morally right in this life and you've continually failed. You've constantly had the problems. You go back to them uh, years later after you solved a problem. 
You can try all you want to become a better moral person, to make yourself a better person, to make this your best life now, to add the seven highly habits of whatever to your life, and it will fail every single time if it's apart from Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, it's like this. There's a demon living in a house. The demon gets cast out or by whatever terms or the person is so disciplined. The demon finally leaves and he goes off to these waterless places. Our family on our vacation, we were down in a place called Lake Powell, which is part of Utah and Arizona. And being on the water, it's hot, but you're in the water. But when we left our house, we're driving through desert. And I'm like, I do not want to live in the desert. Even as cold as it would get here, I do not want to go to the desert. There's no water there. And it says the demon leaves and goes to these waterless places. And it's like he comes back to the house where he was at. And he goes, hey, they got things put in order. They got those new habits, those new goals. They tried to fix all these things. Man, I'm going back. And not only does he go back to the house, but he brings seven other demons, which are more evil, more powerful, and they cause more torment and more wreck to the person than ever was before, again, with the goal of rendering rendering them hopeless in life so that all they wait for is death. Torment with no hope. Read John chapter 3 this week. Read John chapter 3. Jesus is very clear that without a spiritual transformation of the heart, a new birth, a new life, that all you have to look forward to in this life is death and eternity in hell separated from God Almighty. And so we go, we tell people this. I've been telling my neighbor this for 10 years. And my neighbor or this person that I go to work with, I've been telling my boss, and I'm afraid that my boss is going to fire me if I tell him again. Or I've been telling my teacher at school or my friend on the sports team. I've been telling people for years about Jesus. And they constantly, constantly, constantly reject Jesus Christ. And all they do is go after the things of the world and try to make themselves a right moral person. You know, the Bible tells us why. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You got questions? It's in the Bible. We need to read it, right? So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You want to know why people reject Christ time in and time out? Because the Word of God is clear that people have no excuse. That the Word of God, the glory of God is revealed, and so people have no excuse in rejecting Him. But this helps us a little bit of insight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world. Who's the God of the world? Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you get it? Do you see it? Satan and the demons are doing everything they can to make the gospel veiled, a curtain in front of it. People are so distracted trying to be moral. They're so distracted by the torment of this world. They're so distracted by the sin and the problems they face and the sickness and all the problems in this world that when they hear about Jesus Christ, they're like, I don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. They see the cross and to them, it means nothing to them. 
Satan and the demons work overtime because they know that their time is limited. Satan and the demons know that God is real. They know that there's an end. They know that their place is a lake of fire for eternity. And so they're going to do everything that they can to distract any of you from giving glory to God with your life or believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Therefore, our prayer should be this. Holy Spirit, would you please open the eyes of so-and-so? Holy Spirit, would you help there to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, would you bring them to the point that the gospel that's revealed to them, that they would see the cross, that they would see the empty tomb, and that through faith that they would believe in Jesus Christ. Because the word of God is clear that salvation belongs to the Lord, not to us. Therefore, we must pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would open eyes and God would save his people from death and destruction. So let's go to the last two verses, verses 27 through 28. Which kingdom do you do battle for? Look at verse 27. In the midst of this crowd, there's a lady who yells out and she says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Basically, he's saying it's one thing to be physically related to Jesus. Mary... If you uh, come from a background where you, Mary is a high position to you, you know from Scripture, it says that she's blessed. I mean, we read that back at Christmas time in the Gospel of Luke, that she's blessed to be the mother of Jesus. But Jesus is like, no, you could be more blessed than Mary. And some people are like, what? More, more blessed than Mary? No way. Yes. He says, rather, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do what? Keep it. So pay attention here. Jesus always, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus always teaches and he always calls for a response. And the response always is to believe in him. The response is always to come to faith in him, to follow him, to pick up your cross and follow after him. So with that, go back to verse 23. We'll end with this. He says, whoever is not with me is what? Against me. And whoever does not gather with me, what? Scatters. You're either for or against Jesus. If you're undecided, you are against Jesus. There is a day coming. It's called the day of the Lord. Actually, scripture many times calls it the terrible day of the Lord. Not terrible in the sense that Christ is returning and we'll see him in his glory and he uh, comes the triumphant victor um, that is conquered, that he is our savior, but it's terrible for all who have rejected him as Lord and Savior. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. And people will plead with Jesus. Jesus, I was a real moral person. I cleaned up my life. Remember back in 89? Remember back 2010? Jesus, I did those things. He's like, I don't know you. Depart. Leave me. And people will ask of the day and they will plead like that, but they will be turned away and they will go into everlasting torment in the lake of fire, hell, 
that was created for the punishment and torment of Satan and the demons. Do you see it's a real serious thing we look at today? Do you see why I prayed at the beginning, Holy Spirit, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear? Because here's where we're at. I was hoping and praying that after we came back from vacation, I'd see the news and all the riots in our nation would stop. And there was, we had kind of shoddy cell service out in the lake. So there were some emails that came up and I saw this one that it was like a news thing. And so it had a picture there of these rioters and they're in their sketchy riot gear. And across from them is some um, uh, police, local police. And there's some also some uh, federal police and they're in riot gear and they're all suited up and they've got their stuff on and everything. And there's like this battle line drawn. And then I saw another picture of the National Guard. And, and so you you see all these things like, man, this, and, and, and what has been happening is that these riots have been tormenting our nation in a sense that we've had officers and people who have been killed and hurt and attacked by people who just want to riot and they're destroying property and they're burning down things. And when I see that, I think of Satan and I think of the demons because Satan and the demons, they have some weapons. Paul says in Ephesians chapter six that Satan throws fiery darts at the followers of Christ. But I'm so thankful for the book of Ephesians because in Ephesians chapter 6, here's what the Word of God declares to you if you're a follower of Christ. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 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 take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And he goes on and lists all the armor. The wonderful thing is this. If you're a child of God, a follower of Christ, he's given you all the armor you need to stand and take the attacks of Satan. Because even though you come to Christ, Satan and the demons don't stop coming after you. They want to uh, attack you so that you are not useful for the kingdom of God and you don't use your gifts and you just sit at home and say, woe is me. But here's the greater thing with it. You've given the armor, and he says, I give you a sword. I don't know about you, but I like swords. I like knives. I like things like that. I like guns. He's given a weapon, the greatest weapon ever that could be given to anyone, and it is the word of God. Amen? Here's our problem if you're like me. Even pastors struggle with this. Being in the word of God all the time, wielding the sword, using it, and not just having it in our scabbard by our side. We need to read the word of God. We need to be in the word of God because there's the call, as we saw Jesus, was to be obedient to him. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So as the worship team comes up, and we close in singing songs of praise to our Lord. Some of you either are not putting the armor on, because Paul says a few times, put the armor on, put the armor on. Some of you aren't doing that daily, or you've got partial armor on. Some of you are, are the sword's still stuck you know, on the side, and you're not pulling it out. 
And so Satan's throwing fiery darts at you and you're believing the lies, you're believing the deception, and you sit at home and you don't minister to other people. All the wonderful, glorious gifts that God has given you when the Holy Spirit has come into your life, they sit useless. And so pray for me as I pray for you, because after the armor of God and the sword that's given, the Apostle Paul says there in Ephesians 6, and pray always. He says pray all the time. Uh, not this Tuesday, but the Tuesday after. We're going to gather here and pray. Come join us. Someone talked to me this last week said, hey, I think I'm going to start a prayer group. I'm like, amen, start a prayer group. You don't need me to start a prayer group for you. So you're like, I, am, I need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray for me. You need to pray for the believers in this world. And you need to pray for all who are lost, that they would come to Christ and their eyes would be open. Father, I pray that today the word that you have given us to look at this morning would be seared into our hearts, that we would know that there are two kings, two kingdoms, two armies, and that we would know and be assured that you are the true and only King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray for salvation for anyone here who is far from you, and I pray, Lord, for all the believers that are walking with you and are being attacked and are beaten down, that you would protect them as you have promised to do, that you would remind them that they need to be in the word and that they would wield the sword. Father, thank you that you love us greatly. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross for us. We praise your name. Amen.